Everybody. Welcome to the High Five Countdown Podcast. My name is DJ Setho, and before we get started into this episode, I just want to let you all know what you're going to be listening to. This is not going to be your usual High Five Countdown Podcast episode. We're going to be discussing the horrific tragedies of September 11th and the aftermath of those tragedies. It will not be the lighthearted, usual High Five Countdown Podcast episode you're used to. Uh, we are going to say and talk about some thought-provoking things, and it will be very unformatted, a, a little bit more serious than usual. So I just want to let you all know before you go jumping into the podcast. That being said, this is an episode where we're going to be talking about September 11th, and mainly the aftermath of September 11th, because it was a very different time in American history. That being said, a lot of people might be asking, why would you do a podcast on this? Now, I'm just going to say two reasons. First reason is it is the 15th anniversary of September 11th, which is hard to believe. So we've had a little distance, but yet I think it is important that we do not forget, number one, the aftermath of the attacks, because it really was a different time in American history. But more importantly, not to forget the joining together and the patriotism that happened after those attacks. Second reason I want to do something like this is because, since it is 15 years from those tragic events, there are a lot of people who are either too young to remember or were not even born, but are yet old enough to appreciate some of the historical context behind it. And I think it is important to talk about it and to remind people of how this country dealt with these horrific attacks and some of the aftermath, and like I said, most importantly, some of the joining together, helping each other cope through a horrific event. So enough of my preamble, let me introduce my co-host for today's episode. With us today, he helped us out on a podcast, The Top 5 Problems with The Walking Dead. We have Tugboat. How's it going, Tugboat? Uh, It's going well, but uh, maybe just for this conversation, Ryan will do. Obviously, it's a little bit more of a serious matter. I just wanted to say thank you to you for uh, reaching out to me. Um, It affected America as a whole, but I think uh, I live on Long Island, uh, which is obviously very close to uh, where the attacks happened, so I think I have maybe a little bit of a different perspective than some of your listeners had with it. So I thank you for asking me to be here, uh, and I'm happy to help out um, on what really should be a, a look back into where we were, where we are, and maybe you know where we even head now 15 years out. I think that's a good way to put it, because... As far as our generation goes, as as you and myself, Ryan, are of the same age, this was, unfortunately, the biggest thing to happen that had a lot of effect to where things went after those horrific attacks in 2001. But before we get into that, um, could you give me a little bit of context, Ryan, about where you were at and what you can remember from that horrific date in history. We've known each other from college. We graduated college the same year. We graduated high school the same year. For both of us, we were high school seniors. Now, the term high school senior means a lot of different things to to people as far as it's a turning point in your life. You're finishing up high school, going out to college. And for me, it was my second day of school. And I go into school and all of a sudden, we heard some things through the grapevine that something might have happened in New York City, but we didn't know anything. And then everything stopped because by 9 o'clock that morning in homeroom, 9.20, whatever it was, we had found out the awful things that had happened. I was just turned 17, just starting high school, senior year, and everything stopped for the first time, I really think, in my life. Everything truly stopped. 
nobody talked, nobody wanted to talk, everything stopped. Um, and then as, as we went throughout the day, I just remember we had, uh, I went to a uh, private school and we had a chaplain who had an office with a television and there'd be students going in and out to see exactly what was going on. When you hear something, it can sound bad and then all of a sudden you see the, the images and it's much, much worse than you ever thought it could be. And that, that's definitely what happened here. In addition to that, there were people that were trying to get in touch with their loved ones at school all day. Now, this was really before cell phones were the thing where everybody had one. Some people did, some people didn't. So people were getting called out of class. People were being using pay phones to try to get in contact with their dad or their mom who worked in their city. So that's kind of how the day was shaped. We also, I uh, was, you know, I was on my high school football team, obviously practice and all that school activities were canceled that day. And just then we went home and watched it and saw what happened. I, I don't know why, but I had to go to the mall for something. And after school, I went to the mall and the mall was closed. That was like a big sign, like, oh, obviously something happened. Something is different here. This is important. This is obviously historically important. Like, and all the little signs around the day told me that. I think you raised some good points, and I'll hit on some of those points. I think once we get into a little bit more about the discussion of the aftermath of everything. But to go off what you said, I was in a similar situation. I'd actually got just got done with a physics test in first period, and one of the uh, ladies in our class... She came back, and her mother works in the office, and she came back and said, you know, something horrific had happened where a plane accidentally crashed into the World Trade Centers. We were all very confused by the news, and then we actually ended up getting called as a school to the gymnasium where the principals, the faculty, and the staff met with us and let us know the uh, events that had happened, and it became clear that it wasn't an accident. It was actually a a terrorist attack. After that big assembly, a lot of students gathered in the office lobby where they had set up two televisions so they can watch what was happening. I had walked to the lobby so I could get a glimpse of things, and one of our teachers pulled us into class wanting to continue, and as, as we're going through the class, I can honestly not remember a single thing said because there was a bazillion thoughts racing through my mind, as with everyone in the class. And the class ended up ending early just because no one could concentrate. And the rest of the day was really all of us just sitting and watching these televisions just in disbelief. And I just remember, too, at lunch, when my when, when me and my friends were sitting at uh, our lunch table, there was talk about going to war. There was talk about a draft. There was a lot of talk, things that us high schoolers had never spoken about before. And it was very real. It was very uncertain. And I think it was a little bit of a snapshot of the uncertainty that surrounded our country because we didn't know where we were going. And to that point, history was always something that you studied. It was always something that had happened. Now all of a sudden it was happening. And it was happening probably closer to home than you ever thought it would. Oh, definitely. I mean, where, where my high school's at, we're only about two and a half hours from New York. So it was very close. Um, there was a girl in our class whose father was supposed to go to the trade towers that day. And I just remember her screaming, freaking out, hearing the news. And she jumped on a cell phone. Again, someone let her borrow a cell phone so that she could make a call. When cell phones, not everyone had one. And thankfully... Her father wasn't there when the attacks happened, which was a good thing, obviously. That being said, I think maybe a good launching point is something that you had said, which is something that I want to go into, which is everything stopped. The life we knew as Americans just completely shut down. And to me, that was scary. Just like you said you went to the mall, I ended up driving home, and, and when I drive home, the first thing I do is turn on the radio to get some music. There was no music playing. All the radio stations had a live feed to CNN Radio or one of the other AP news centers that were just live broadcasting what was happening at uh, the World Trade Centers. The interesting thing is, you know, we're, we're high school seniors. So, I mean, I don't know about, about you, but... 
one of the things and traditions I always had was, you know, we'd come home and we'd watch TRL. You know, I'd have friends come over and we'd all just see what video was number one. You know, dating ourselves here, we turned on MTV to watch TRL and TRL was nowhere to be found. Between those things, uh, no radio and, and these live broadcasts all through television and one of the one of the biggest shows that was based out of New York being canceled, it really gave us an idea of how big these events were. I think to an extent, all of us didn't realize the degree of the situation. I know I certainly didn't. I don't think it really hit me till the next day. And speaking of the next day, okay, you know what was really strange is that where my high school was, it's about, it was about 30 miles out of New York City. Now, we obviously had practice canceled with Tone to go home on that Tuesday, but even on the Wednesday, we were in such a close vicinity, practice was canceled because the air quality was so bad that they didn't want us breathing in anything that we shouldn't breathe in, which was really scary when you think about it, that we were in the vicinity, that we were so close that we couldn't breathe in some of the fumes uh, that were changing the air quality, or at least that's what they worried about. That was that was very telling. That was like, you went to school the next day, it was like, all right, back, kind of back to normal. It was like, no, no, things are not back to normal right now. I think that's a great point, because I remember coming into school the next day and thinking that things would be back to normal, and people were still freaked out. Where my high school is, like I said, it's about two and a half hours from New York. So it's certainly not far, but it's not close enough where they're worried about air quality and stuff. But I just remember there was a funk the next day. There was still no clarity about things. They were still obviously trying to assess the situation. There obviously wasn't a body count at this point. There was no mention of what was going to happen, you know, from any type of political standpoint and we're in high school so it's not even like we necessarily understood any of that i just remember waking up the next morning turning on the tv and just thinking that i could either watch you know whatever i watched in the morning like a saved by the bell rerun or mtv for the music videos the same stations were still live broadcasting they were not doing their normal programming because none of them wanted to Everyone wanted to stay focused on what had happened because of how big, what a big degree that was. Well, can I tell you, I still shudder when I see some of the footage that we saw that day. It looked like something out of a movie. And for, for years, they had had these big explosions and uh, buildings crumbling in movies. And it was always a nice, safe thought to think, oh, well, that's a movie. And this was, at least for me, I, the first time I was like, well, no, this, this is real life. This, this has happened. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe that it happened. And to your point about life-changing, NFL and Major League Baseball, they never stop for anything. Their, their calendar moves. They, they have a set calendar. They, they have it set every year. There's a lot that goes into place. And all of a sudden, we heard that there might be some postponed games. And I think that was... Like, wait, what? Did, when was the last time Major League Baseball postponed games? It feels like World War II. And I can't tell you before that the last time the NFL postponed games. That whole week, you know, as we, you know, now we've experienced that what happened on that Tuesday, and now we're kind of putting the pieces together. That whole week, it was like everything was so focused. Whether you were in Mountaintop, as you said, whether people were in California, and or whether we were in New York, People from all over America and really all over the world, their eyes were on us as we were dealing with this. I remember there was even, a, I think, a telethon uh, where all celebrities came together uh, pretty early on. I don't know if it was the Friday after or a week after, but I had never seen or experienced anything like it and was almost learning how to deal with the aftermath. And you add to this the uncertain fact of certain people still had not been accounted for. And you add that on top of everything, and you have people looking for their family members and not being able to contact them. I mean, we're doing a podcast about this, but really, I, I think you'd agree that a podcast or a TV show or a week of TV shows or really nothing could properly capture what was going on at that time. You would see news broadcasts about families who were waiting for their missing family member to come home, who were holding out hope 
that maybe someone was in an emergency room and again because of the the cataclysmic events there was no organization just because someone was in an emergency room there was no way for them to notify their families because the phone lines might have just been jammed up with calls so families are holding out hope that maybe a family member is literally in an emergency room and they can't get word back to them because even though cell phones are still a small part of our lives compared to what they are today, I remember trying to call my mom because she worked for a government facility just to make sure that she was okay and my call couldn't get through because all the cellular phone lines were jammed. And I'm sure the landlines were even the same way, especially around New York. And you have to remember, too, even if, even if people were in Midtown or Uptown, they closed the bridges. They closed them all. So people were walking over the bridges. It was something that had never been seen before. The one thing that I want to hold on to really quick, because, again, this is part of the context. There are, there are people who are aged 15, 16, 17, who were either not born or too young to remember these you know, horrific attacks in the aftermath. And, you know, that being well, said... Um, just, just real quick, to speak to that age point, Okay, so I'm a teacher, and when I first started teaching, my students were maybe in first grade at the time that it happened, or second grade or third grade at the time that it happened, so they remembered stuff. As of last year, they weren't even born when it happened, because I teach freshmen. They weren't even born when it happened. When I was talking about it to them, because I always talk about it on the anniversary and explaining to them, I felt a little bit, I was like, oh my goodness, like, um, I, I know what my parents feel like trying to explain something to me that I had not seen. It was really hard to put into words. It was a different time. So there was no outlets of Facebook or social media. There was no, you know, hashtag pray for New York or changing a profile picture. People just had to deal with it with conversations. But to go back to something you said, because I think it will help show people who are too young to remember how cataclysmic these attacks were, is the NFL and MLB postponed games, which never happens. The only time the NFL postpones games is during horrible weather. Never has an NFL game been pushed back that was a non-weather-related circumstance. And a slate of NFL games, like a whole week's worth. Yes. Same thing with the MLB. I think, uh, weren't the Yankees slated to play that night and they just, they postponed that game? I can't remember exactly. It was either the Mets or the Yankees, because typically always one of them is home. So they went ahead and postponed things, I think, for about a week and a half. Because so 9-11 was a Tuesday, I think right around the time, because they postponed the NFL week, so I think by the time the NFL started playing games, Major League Baseball started playing games again too. I mean, just to add on to that, television shows premiere mid-September, right around the September 11th date. Most television shows did not air their premieres because of these tragic events. Every show that I was into at the time had postponed their premiere because everyone needed to decompress from these attacks. Late shows that, you know, obviously the record live or have a pre-taped episode ready to go for that day either did not record live or did not air the pre-taped episodes because of what had happened. You know, as I mentioned before, one of the uh, staple shows in New York was MTV's TRL. They didn't have an episode of TRL till the very end of that week. And even the episodes they aired, it wasn't usual TRL format where kids were screaming, videos were being counted down, guests were coming on the air. When when TRL and, and even all these late shows returned, it was very somber. It wasn't the laugh riot and the entertainment that, that, that we know today or that we remember, which begged the question of when will it be okay to laugh again? So, so Seth, I don't know if you remember SNL, obviously, live show, but it, it has set tapings. SNL even pushed back a week, maybe even two weeks. But when they came back on... Before they even had a sketch, Rudy Giuliani, the mayor of New York City, and Lorne Michaels, the executive producer and showrunner for Satellite, came out on stage. And Lorne Michaels went to Rudy and he goes, is it okay to be funny? And Rudy, with great comedic timing, surprising comedic timing, goes, why start now? 
And, <laughs> and at that moment, you felt like, okay, all right, it was a couple weeks out, okay, we're still hurting, but, but it's okay to laugh, it's okay to heal. That was at least two weeks out. So there was a good two-week to one-month period where we were just in this awkward, awkward situation of where was entertainment going to go? And, and there were some theorists who had said that we will never get back to where we were. And obviously, they had um, over-dramatized it, but at that point in time, that was kind of the sentiment. And I remember, I was like, are we ever going to get back to normal here? Well, but, but we're really not back to normal even still today. And I know this is like, this is a podcast where we're obviously talking about how we remembered it and kind of the reaction of things. If we really, I, I don't know if we're going to go into this big philosophical question or not, but I don't know if we've ever returned to normal. We live in a world, I think because of our age, Seth, where everything is either pre-9-11 or post-9-11 because our world is vastly different. Everything from going to the airport to even watching TV. Because I think, and you might have a different point of view, but I, I think we live in a very changed world. We live in, we live in a, a more aware world, for sure. I agree with that. Before 9-11, there was not these long security lines that happened in the airport. There was not this big swallow in someone's throat when they're on the train and there's a bag left unattended. Um, some of the precautions that we have today were not present pre-9-11. So, I mean, that's a great point to bring up. If we're talking entertainment, I would say that we, we return to normal there because, again, pre-9-11, the uh, silliness of, of the Tom Greens and the M&Ms of the world, um, you know, reality television had really started to get a foothold on TV pre-9-11. Coming out of 9-11, none of that's changed. You know, M&M does come back. You know, people like Tom Green do come back. Reality television is still a force after those things. Um, it took about a month for us to decompress, but from an entertainment standpoint and from a cultural standpoint, we did rebound. Um, September 11th, 2001, that was the first season of 24. 24 ended up getting pushed back indefinitely because one of the big scenes in 24 was the blowing up of a plane that they didn't feel was right to be on television. If things had not gotten back to normal, that might not have seen the light of day. But eventually, 24 Season 1 aired. People almost grabbed onto 24 when it finally did air because you had this, like, what people thought was a true American hero, Jack Bauer, fighting the evil forces. And I actually think that because they waited... It helped 24 gain viewership because by that time, it was like, all right, we grieved, and now we're ready to fight back. It was an embodiment of the patriotism that people had um, had been feeling that was swelling. Definitely. I think that that's a great point that, that, that leads me into at least the next thing I remember right around the aftermath of 9-11, which is people took comfort in things that had come out right around the time that might not have been popular had the whole 9-11 time not had happened. And, and let me give a few examples. First is, um, right before September 11th, the band P.O.D. had released a song called Alive. that time, P.O.D. was an underground band. They were on a lot of alternative rock charts, um, but they had never broken into top 40, nor had they ever really made a move to do so. But then you get a song like Alive, which talks about never taking days for granted, and that song blew up and really made P.O.D. a top 40 band. Um, and then eventually their uh, CD was released on September 11th, they did not push, push back the release date, and Satellite became a multi-platinum CD off of uh, hits like Alive and Youth of a Nation, which were more sentimental and philosophical songs that I think really hit the right chord at the right time. I do remember uh, certain songs 
did take on new meaning. There was a song by Live, and I'm, I'm blanking here, and I know this is probably bad podcasting, but there were certain songs that you'd hear on the radio that all of a sudden had, had different meaning, like Yellow Car, the band. But one of their songs on their breakout album that came out in 2002 is Believe. Everything is going to be all right. whole song is about how you should be strong and believe in light of what happened on 9-11. They even have some newscasters being overheard in the backdrop of the song, kind of saying, like, this is the times that we live in, but be strong and believe everything will be all right. And that's the message that I think people wanted to grasp onto, people wanted to hear, because people were at their most vulnerable after 9-11. And in music... There was actually a big release day of uh, September 11th. Um, you know, we had mentioned POD Satellite came out. Uh, one of the biggest acts to release that was supposed to release on September 11th was Jay-Z. Uh, he was supposed to release The Blueprint. He did release it, despite the record label trying to convince him to push that album release back. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that Jay-Z was giving out comfort music, similar to you know, P.O.D., but he's a prominent New York figure. You know, Jay-Z was pretty big at the time. You know, he certainly wasn't to the echelon that he would eventually become, but to have this prominent New York figure come out and to do appearances and to release a CD, I thought was kind of interesting and kind of cool because he talked about the effects of September 11th on him seeing his city crippled, and then saying he wanted to release music as an escape. It's Jay-Z, so not everything in there is going to be wholesome family music that you could gather around and listen to um, grieving these attacks, but it was an escape. And music in general was an escape. You know, we mentioned P.O.D. Um, I did want to list a few other interesting songs that had taken on a new meaning, um, despite the fact that their release and their meaning might not have been related to the uh, September 11th attacks were Enrique Iglesias released a song called Hero. I can be your hero, baby. I can kiss away the pain. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that, yes. That all of a sudden, it was like, wow. That took on the meaning for sure, yes. The song blew up. And the ironic thing about the song is it has nothing to do with heroes. It has everything to do with Enrique saying the love of his life was his hero. But people associated those lyrics with everything that had happened. And another one which I know you remember is U2's Walk On. Of course. That whole album, even though it was released maybe even a year earlier, I can't remember if it was released in June of 01 or June of 2000, but all of a sudden, that whole album, you know, you, it seemed to take this leap into the right sound for the right time. Yeah, I mean, between Beautiful Day and Walk On and Stuck in a Moment, they were all songs that were very poignant at the time. It was a great CD. I mean, I still love listening to that CD. The one thing I remember is on one of the live broadcasts where um, they were obviously giving the news and talking about the September 11th attacks, when they were doing the end credits, the song they had playing in the background was U2's Walk On. I love that song. I, I love the message. I still hear that song, and it reminds me of that time. I'm sure you feel the same way. 100%, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that U2 was the performer for the first Super Bowl halftime show post 9-11, which we talked about in the High Five Countdown podcast that we had on top five Super Bowl halftime shows, but that was huge. And that halftime show, when it was performed, we were still hurting. Super Bowls played in February, so a few months out, the pain wasn't completely healed by any means. Right. And for you uh, 2 to make the tribute that they did with the list of names scrolling through as they performed, 
and Bono running around the stage with an American flag is something that I'll never forget because the whole question was, what could you do for the halftime show after everything that had happened? And they pulled it off, you know, the uh, NFL and obviously you 2 pulled it off in spectacular fashion to really hit a tone that needed to be hit. If you remember, Seth, they even changed the logo of the Super Bowl for the first time because it was a it was in New Orleans. It was New Orleans themed. And then they changed it to the shape of America in an American flag. And that was also something that hadn't been done that obviously was was done and it's, I mean it's obviously memorable. I'm sorry for I hope I'm not rambling, but like oh, no. it's a it's a stream of consciousness thing where like Seth it, this this hit me on so many different levels. Uh, I'm sure it hit a lot of people on different levels, but my aunt left the tower that day and got out about 10 minutes before everything happened. Uh, my buddy lost his cousin in 9-11, and I had friends who lost their parents and classmates that lost their family members, and it was awful. And I mean, to go on that point, um, thankfully, I didn't get directly impacted. Our one classmate thought that her dad was in the towers, and, and thankfully he wasn't. We saw the list of names at, at so many different events afterwards. You know, most famously, the U2 Super Bowl halftime show, um, where they listed all the names of the September 11th tragedy victims. But that being said, I can honestly say the thing that truly hit me actually hit me very recently. And, and part of the inspiration for us to do this podcast came from uh, when I went to New York on July 4th weekend. One of my destination points was the 9-11 Memorial Museum. I had heard a lot of things about it. It was going to be an emotional experience, but it was a great display. It was done in all class. It truly was. And and for anyone who has not gone to that exhibit, please do, especially people who might not remember the times, because it truly gives you an essence of how many people were affected by this, how it changed so many lives, the peril and the devastation that it caused. But to go off the point you were saying is the one room in the exhibit, and I don't know if you've been there, Ryan, is the room where they have all the pictures of everyone whose lives are lost in the devastating attacks of September 11th. I'm walking around the room looking at the pictures. They weren't just names. They were faces. And in some cases, there were stories, as the room also had belongings that were found in the rubble or that family members donated of the people so they could be remembered. It was a true reminder of lives that were lost in those tragic events. Faces of people who were happy and who were going on their daily lives not thinking that anything could change. And all those people, unfortunately, had a horrifying end. And all of those families had to cope with that tragedy. And that's the human element that... Obviously, people who are too young to remember, you know, really can't see. And people like me who have some distance from the attack sites might not appreciate until they see that room. And they're still coping with it. You know, they cope with it and they're still coping with it. To have your family or your closest friends or maybe even somebody that you work with all of a sudden not be there anymore because of this awful thing that happened, it really was life-changing. There was, There's actually something that they do every year in Brooklyn that goes to New York City that is a great remembrance of what happened that day. I'm lucky enough that uh, my, one, my one buddy, his cousin was a, a firefighter who was on that day, and he responded, his life was taken by 9-11. Now, so he invited me to run in this 5K. Now... And this one is called the Stephen Siller Tunnel to the Towers Run. And what you do is that there was this firefighter, his name was Stephen Siller. And he found out what was happening and worked in Brooklyn. Now, obviously, Brooklyn, you have to go either through the tunnel or over bridge to get to Manhattan. Well, the bridges and tunnels were closed. So he took all his gear on his back and he ran in full gear through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel to the Trade Center. And went to help. Now, obviously, he gave his life for a tremendous cause that day. But I'm mentioning it now because they do a Stephen Siller run every year where they have 
thousands upon thousands of people, civilians, firefighters, police officers, people from other countries. When I ran it, because you can, you can run it, you, anybody can run it, there were people from Great Britain, police officers from Great Britain that had come over. And you get to run in his footsteps and very briefly, you know, feel that rush that, that he felt as you see there's Marines and members of the armed forces jogging next to you and carrying the American flag. And there's also firefighters that every year do it in their own full gear as a tribute. And it really is this thing that I did it a couple of years ago. I did it. I've done it twice. And it's this phenomenal experience of like, wow, what good can come from such a negative and awful outcome. It's truly, it was truly great to see all the people come together. And it's, it's still, it's still happening. Seth. It's still happening. They do this run every single year and it's, it's a tribute to him, but it also shows the grit that I think we as not New Yorkers, but we as Americans have. Well, I think it's awesome. And, and I think that, that things like that have to continue. Um, you know, a point that I want to roll off of is the first responders of 9-11. And, and this is probably one of the most important points that I think I'll make in this podcast. When those towers were under siege and the plane had crashed in, countless first responders ran toward the blasts. They ran toward those towers that were crumbling to help. To think about that. If you see an explosion, if you see a crumbling building, what is your sense going to tell you to do? You know, you have the fight or flight, and you're probably choosing flight, and you're running away. The first responders ran toward because they wanted to help people. To just think about that and conceptualize that for a second. They were running toward those buildings, and reality is there was a good chance they weren't going to come back. But they did it, and they did it fearlessly. And I think that's important for us to remember as a society. I think that the respect of first responders had had risen and elevated because of it. They were heroes, and they deserve that recognition of heroism. I mean, they deserve it every day, but following those attacks, and, and you know, the stupid things you kind of attach memories with. I remember, um, I'm a big fan of the show Survivor. And the year after those attacks, an episode of Survivor had aired that brought a new cast on. And at the beginning of the show, they give their professions. And one of the contestants was a New York City police officer. And everyone applauded him on that show. It wasn't asked for. It was just a natural thing to do. That was something that had happened post 9-11. Not just for a few months, not even just for the first year, but years following where you take a look at first responders, they were really held in high regard, especially New York City police and fire. I think that's important. But the fact that these guys raced toward danger, toward a possible death, because that was the thing that they felt they needed to do. That was their service. And I want to add a third group to that as well. They're called the PAPD. It's the Port Authority Police Department. And they were they were just the same as the NYPD. And the FDNY also chipping in as well. Sometimes they go unnoticed, uh, but especially in New York, uh, there were Port Authority policemen that worked below the Trade Center because uh, there was a there was a port there. So that that's always important to mention as well. But yeah, Seth, you make a good point. Like we were giving them their due. It was nice to see people come together. I mean, it was nice also. It's always good when you get a reminder of something uh, important happens in a place that you might not expect. To that point, you know, Seth, when you asked me to be on the show, of course my mind started racing up. What, what do I remember most about the aftermath of 9-11? And I remember baseball. I remember baseball for two reasons. There were two really big moments that happened in, in baseball after 9-11. The first was on... September 21st, 2001, obviously, and the Mets were at home. They were playing the Braves. The Mets were maybe a couple of games above 500, fighting, 
trying to stay in contention, but it didn't even matter. All anybody wanted to do was go to a ball game. The bottom of the eighth, Mets down 2-1, and Mike Piazza comes to the plate. They recently inducted into the Hall of Fame Mike Piazza. And he even spoke about this in his Hall of Fame speech, because he got up to the plate. They had been wearing FDNY caps and NYPD caps and PAPD caps earlier during the National Anthem. Tensions were obviously high. We were trying to get back to normal. And all Mike Piazza could do was think about hitting the baseball. And in the bottom of the eighth, because the Mets were home, he slammed the ball all the way into center field and put the Mets ahead 3-2. to two. And that home run was just a tremendous moment for New York. Really tremendous. And you might say, How does that, what does a home run have to do with anything? If you, see, if you ever happen to come across a clip of it on YouTube, because it's all over the place on YouTube, just watch the people in the stadium. There were firefighters and, and police officers there that night, as well as just New Yorkers. And it was, a, it was a very small moment of triumph. And it wasn't just the Mets that experienced a strong baseball moment after uh, 9-11. It was Major, Major League Baseball holds the World Series in the last week of October, typically every year. In the year of 9-11, because it was the later week, it was now we were playing November baseball for the first time ever. Well... The Yankees went on a somewhat improbable run to make their fourth World Series in a row. And after being down two games to nothing, they came home down 2-0. And two major things happened. In stunning fashion, in three games in Yankee Stadium, they won all three games. And Derek Jeter was the hero and named Mr. November. In addition to that... Another baseball moment that happened during the World Series was that George W. Bush came out, and this, is, this has been well documented, but he felt like he needed to go out there and, and throw the first pitch. Now, this was really scary. We just had this major attack, and obviously tensions were at their absolute height. But what does George W. Bush do? Comes out to the mound, cool, calm, and collected, and throws a perfect strike. All of those feelings kind of jumbled up together. Between the Piazza home run, the George Bush strike, and the Yankees coming up with three improbable victories to push the series back to Arizona, up 3-2. It was, they were all small moments that just helped New Yorkers get back to normal, but really also told the country, like, we're going we're gonna to get past this. So, Seth, those are some of the things that I remember in the sports world that happened right after. Ryan, I uh, I have one more point, which is probably going to hit my point on this podcast home that I want to bring up before I do. Did you have anything you wanted to mention? So, it's a 10-year anniversary, and my uncle, okay, he was a member of the New York Police Department, and he was also in their Emerald Society, which is their pipes and drums. So, the bagpipes and the, the Celtic drums and, and the bagpipes, he was uh, a member of that. He was heavily involved in that. But he had this opportunity. The 10th anniversary of 9-11, there was a game being played at the Meadowlands between the Jets and the Dallas Cowboys. My uncle and I, we were season tickets for the, uh, the Jets at that time, season ticket holders for the Jets at that time, and they, they had asked him to play. So my uncle, on the 10th anniversary of 9-11, with the two bright shining lights going into the city that was supposed to represent the two towers shining up from the field. They they darkened the whole stadium, and they shine these two bright lights from the field. And he played the bagpipes to kind of commemorate the anniversary. And it still to this day is, is one of those times where you just stop and absorbed it all. Now all of a sudden we're 15 years out, and I don't know about you, Seth, but in certain ways, that feels just about right. And in certain ways, I feel like it, it happened a short time ago. I agree. I kind of feel like I can remember it like it was yesterday. And to say that it's 15 years past, it's just very weird to say that. Because it doesn't feel like it. Everything that I remember from that day, my reactions, you know, as we're talking about this podcast, it's not hard for me to remember how I reacted to things as a senior in high school. It's not hard for me to remember some of the things that were going on in sports and in pop culture during that time. So when you say, oh, by the way, September 11th was 15 years ago, it's difficult because you're going to, I'm going to be 
shocked because it doesn't feel like it. No, no it, it doesn't. doesn't. And, you know, when, when you, you mentioned, mentioned your point before about how even though we live in the same world, we live in a much different world, and you, you kind of were hinting at that when you were talking about the social media aspect and changing your profile picture or posting a tribute or things like that. One of the things that I really remember from 9-11 and that I still carry with me is seeing all the people help. And you've seen people post that that quote, I, I believe it's from, attributed to Mr. Rogers about in the scary times you look for the helpers, but it's so true. But what I really sort of cherish about 9-11 is that people, and I sound so old here, but I don't even care. People weren't on their phones updating their statuses. People were looking for ways to help. People look, were looking for how they could do something to make those suffering feel better. And now you could have been suffering because you or your family lost a loved one, or you could have also been suffering because you were just an American who felt vulnerable. Lots of different reasons. In all the suffering, you saw people helping. I think sometimes you forget that when people are challenged, they can really show you what their best side of them. And that's what really came out in 9-11. And, and one other final thought, Seth, Seth, is people's lives, uh, over, over 2,000, I believe it, the number even is as high as over 2,400 people's lives who were lost on that day. Their families, their firehouse, or guys and ladies who were in the firehouse next to them, or on the force with them, it's forever changed for them. Friends, family, uh, people that they work with, I mean, their lives are forever changed, and it's still not the same, totally, for those people. You know, it happened 15 years ago, it's still something that people have to deal with the effects of on a day-to-day basis, and you mentioned the 9-11 Museum, and that's a true testament to the victims, but I also think that the new Freedom Tower is a true testament to not only the victims' memories, but also the American spirit as a whole. Fifteen years, that's a decade and a half. So yeah, there was not social media. So it was a lot of honest reaction between family and friends. It was a lot of honest questions of what can I do to help? And it was a lot of patriotism that wasn't simply expressed through posting a profile picture of a different color or posting the picture of a flag, but by sending food to New York, canned goods. Uh, You know, our school obviously had a canned good drive. Um, Or going down there and helping um, bring water to the people who are cleaning up the rubble. It was a true expression. And I think that that is something that is one of the positives you could take from 9-11. Uh, and I think there is nothing that is more representative of that than the last column. I'm sure most people know about the last column, but it is the final column that was taken away from the wreckage. And on that column, many people had posted a lot of things, messages, belongings, pictures. You know, a lot of the police and firefighters posted pictures or posted their badges from their um, respective police force or, you know, firehouse representing the lives that were lost from their groups. People had posted pictures of people that they had lost in the attacks. The last column is, in some regards, a scrapbook of the loss and the hurt that was truly felt from the attacks. The unity that the last column represents is that it didn't matter if you were posting a picture of Jesus or a picture of Buddha. It didn't matter if you were blue, black, purple, yellow. It didn't matter what occupation you were. All that mattered was you were people going through something. You were people trying ways to express a pain that you felt. And you did it together in something that has really symbolized the unity that were felt post these attacks. If you go to the September 11th memorial, they save the last column, which is unbelievable to see in person. I've only seen it on newscasts. And every newscast I saw showed that last column, especially during the cleanup efforts. And I believe there was a special procession for the last column. It really just came down to 
us all being people and being Americans and trying to help each other ease the pain and suffering we were feeling after some devastating attacks. I think the, the overwhelming thought seems to be, wow, we, we've come a long way since 9-11 in rebuilding. I, I did kind of say that the Freedom Tower is a testament to that, but when you see it in person, I mean, once once what happened on September 11th happened, I never thought anything would replace it. And it's not that they replaced it, because obviously, as I said, they have the, the two memorial pools, but they put this beautiful Freedom Tower, they constructed it, and it shows American grit. It definitely does, and, and I, I've seen, obviously, the, uh, the memorial... Uh the reflecting pools, uh, which are great to see, just to give you a memory of everything and remind you of what was lost. I believe a lot of, if not all of the names of the victims were carved on the sides of the memorial pools. Yes, that's true. Again, I, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. If you haven't gone to see the actual exhibit in the museum, go to see it. And I think... Part of the reason, obviously, for the uh, September 11th memorial being so impactful is because we lived through it. And, and yes, we weren't old enough to necessarily understand the context of everything, but we were old enough to understand what happened and what the aftermath was. Seth, I just want to say thank you very much for asking me to do this podcast. Uh, I'm sure there might be people that maybe didn't have the New York perspective or or anywhere near the area, and hopefully I was able to provide a little bit of that. 15 years out, it's good to see where we've come, but still understand that the pain and the hurt for those families is very is very real, and it's always important around the time of 9-11 to properly remember that. Ryan, thank you for coming on and, and obviously offering the New York perspective and, and a lot of the awesome uh, anecdotes that you had, especially... Uh, you know, of, of being at that uh, Jets-Dallas uh, game and, uh, you know, being a part of that uh, 10th uh, anniversary ceremony and uh, giving some insight on a topic that is difficult to talk about, but I think one that is worthwhile to put a podcast together on. We can't forget. I think one of the slogans of 9-11 was never forget. And we won't forget the lives that were lost during those tragic attacks. We won't forget the heroes that ran toward devastation when so many were running away. We won't forget the people that gave their lives to helping rescue people from the rubble. And we won't forget the fact that a scared and vulnerable nation band together. I think those are the big takeaways. And obviously remembering the context of, of such a historical event and how it affected the way of life of so many Americans. So, Ryan, thank you for coming on. You're very welcome, Seth. Thank you for having me. And we will uh, we'll close down this podcast. So, thank you for listening to this special episode of the High Five Countdown Podcast. We look forward to having more episodes of the podcast. Hopefully, everyone found this listening experience worthwhile. Thank you, everybody. Bye.